There's no music if you have no body to play it with, so take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles, is it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing. The truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff. Diet, exercise and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine. Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness and fitness in relation to musicians, artists and performance. Welcome back to the Tuned and Strong podcast. I am your host, Angela McHuston of Music Strong, joined by my co-host. I am Dr. Jen Cabasmay of Tuned and Tone Performance. Um, and our special guest today is Dr. Allison Royal. Um, Allison is a um, violist, a performer, gig worker, teacher, all of the, all the fun stuff. Stuff, jeez can't talk today words are hard all the fun stuff uh here in tallahassee and the uh the local area so welcome allison thank you for uh for joining us for this uh chit chatty format (laughs) (laughs) um but we figured we would just uh let you get started tell us about yourself tell us about your story and we'll go from there okay my story i am um (laughs) yes I play the viola. So I started playing viola when I was 12. So that's already strange. Um, And I didn't have my first lesson until I was 17. Also very strange. So there's a reason why I didn't have that lesson until I was 17. So before I got all serious about music, um, I used to weightlift and throw shot put and discus and run across country and play basketball and a whole bunch of other things. And so in my attempt to be superwoman, um, trying to squat 375 pounds, you know, for multiple reps, I accidentally- How many pounds? 375 as a 16 year old. Side note guys, side note guys, Allison is crazy strong. (laughs) She says casually. I can't do it now. (laughs) I don't I don't squat a thing now. Yeah, but my quest to be superwoman. Um, yeah, I um, messed up my back pretty terribly. Uh, I have four herniated discs, two pinched nerves, degenerative disc disease, all kinds of fun things going on down there. Um, So the the herniations are between L2 and S1. And so, yeah, so for some reason, after I injured my back, well, obviously I wasn't gonna get a scholarship and shot put anymore. So my brain switched to, uh, let's go to school for music. So that's why I started having lessons when I was 17 so I could get into school. And yeah, I did that. Then I got to grad school and then I was convinced to get a doctor. So (laughs) don't know how that happened. So. And in 2015, um, eventually my back gave out and I had to have surgery on it. I couldn't take it anymore. So prior to that, I did, um, you know, physical therapy. I did like electric stimulation, massage therapy, um, traction, 
uh, what are they called? The epidural, epidural steroid injection. Mm. I was really young. I had a round of those. Um, yeah. And then in 2015, it just decided, oh, I can't do this anymore. So yeah, so I had a disectomy where they basically shaved off 25% of L4, L5. So it was no longer pinching on all the nerves that it was touching because that caused bursitis in both hips, this complete agony. So mm. after the surgery, initially my surgeon was like, oh, you should just go back to yoga. You should be fine. Some months later, I, well, I wasn't fine because the things that were weak probably when I was a kid were still weak as an adult. So then I went back to physical therapy, was cleared to lift. And so that's how I started weightlifting again, about two years ago, three years ago. I don't know. I've got a question before you go too far. So what caused the herniation? It was it the strength training itself? Was it the sheer overload? Was it bad form? Was it what do you think caused the whole issue? Genetics. Really? Not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what I was told by the surgeon that sure, some other things could have played into it, but it's mostly, yeah, I just picked the short straw because my brother is also very prone to injury. He had two knee surgeries before he was 22. Holy cow. He wore out the cartilage in one of his knees and has cadaver cartilage in one of them he used to play basketball like crazy so we just both picked little little baby straws (laughs) i think that's probably important for our listeners to know that it wasn't necessarily the weightlifting itself that like wrecked you it was (laughs) there was some underlying factors you know i mean genetics that that sucks i can relate i mean yeah i hate to say i'm injury prone but starting to seem that way i mean It happens, you know, there's certain things you think I should just be able to do this. And then you're never able to do it. And there's just certain physical limitations that everybody has, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do a pull-up maybe, but I've got some weird stuff, like doesn't want to fire. And if certain muscles don't want to work, it just might not be in the cards. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that's, it's kind of important to, to say that, that, you know, you've got some genetics at, at, at play. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And shot put, dude, that's cool. I, I got a question. Okay, is okay. shot put, okay, discus is the one where you, where you flip and spin around, right? Yeah, you can spin on the shot too, though. But right. normally you see discus, they'll, they'll flip it and then yeah, it's a spin and they let it go. And then shot put's the one that's here. There's also a spin, but watching the Olympics, a lot of people did kicks this time. They didn't spin, so. <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking about that with people. We're like, how do they know where, when to let go? And they don't accidentally hit somebody in the audience and go flying and hit cars and stuff. You know, like how, especially at that level. I mean, it's just amazing as many times as they spin around. It is. I didn't do the spin. My spin for the discus, it was, I had to, um, just to help me out because everyone was so much better at me, better at it than I was, but shot put had a pretty strong kick. So the problem with my kick was that I would scratch, even though I'm like outside the ring to start and it would still just go flying over the board. (laughs) 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 
Okay. And that's what I was thinking. Like, how, how do you, that's just amazing. I didn't mean to interrupt your story. I mean, you're good. because you said at the very end here that you now you've started lifting again, right? Yes. I just can't remember how long ago. Surgery was in 15. I was in PT for about a year. So that 15, 6, 16, going into seven. So I probably start lifting again in 17, 18, 18. Whatever. Some years ago. Probably. <laughs> because I need it because <laughs> yeah, things are weak. So, and so going into this journey of weightlifting again, you know, I find out that my glutes don't work. Um, my hamstrings didn't work. They work now. Um, <laughs> and my abs probably also didn't work. So these are all the things that I needed to, to basically keep my back stable. So I don't have another incident like I did before, because it's not like the problem is fixed. It's not like, you know, I still mm -hmm. have herniated discs. Um, and none of them were as large as L4, L5, but you know, they, I could do something and whoop, they can keep, you know, yeah, it's it's interesting that you'd say that I just just before we did this, I just got off a call with a, an online client of mine and we were talking about bracing and, you know, how you how you draw in that, that draw in maneuver, where you pull your belly button to your spine, you brace everything, you know, so your spine is really like stable, mm -hmm. locked and loaded was that I call it for some reason, it is, everything's just like, you know, good to go. And we're talking about different aspects of form and how she can't get her glutes to fire and her low back hurts and she's got this tilt in her low back and uh, she's a flute player she plays a lot of um low flutes and i can see how you know holding these flutes way out to these big heavy instruments out of the side if your abs don't work so to speak and you're not bracing and you're not drawing you're not doing anything to, to keep your spine stable it's gonna it's gonna shift to your low back mm -hmm. her glutes aren't working either so we just have this whole conversation about that and it's form is one of those things that we just you know I mean, we don't we don't talk about it enough. It's just like form isn't sexy. We want to see like big delts and big abs and big quads and all the things that are in the, the magazines. When was the last time magazines talked about form and how to do it properly? No, they just keep the workouts, right? You know, and, it, and as musicians, especially, we've got to be able to take care of ourselves. And form is one of those things. So not to digress here, but it really grinds my gears when people don't talk about it. <laughs> you know, protect yourself. You know? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I obsess, <laughs> like, I obsess with form, but I think that's because of the musician brain. I mean, mm -hmm. I probably did it in high school too, because I, I mean, like I had good coaches and, you know, probably something didn't fire when it should have. There may have been something that was embraced that should have been when I was 17. Maybe 375 was too much, Allison. Um, <laughs> you know, but I just feel that like being being an like athletic in high school and doing all these sports and then playing the instrument and then going back to weightlifting, I just feel that even younger Allison would have been thinking about form because I don't want to mess up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any, any of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that's, you have, to, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's that's something that I know I've run into a lot, not just with musicians, but especially with musicians and, and that kind of creative mindset is like, 
Um, full disclosure, I just had uh, my first dynamic integration class was yesterday at FSU. Not not to tout that, but because it's related. <laughs> um, and what what I think is funny is it's um, the purpose is straight up exploration of the body. It's all about what you feel. So there is no right or wrong ever. End of story. And I get where uh, some of my students were coming from, but I got feedback from several people about like, well, I wasn't sure if I was doing it right. And was it supposed to be like this or like that? And I'm like, there is no supposed to be. That's, mm-hmm. there's no supposed to be, you know? Um, so when we talk about um, musicians and lifting and like, am I doing it right? And, and the hyper-focus on form and, If we go back to um, straight up bad coaches that I have seen in high school are obsessed with targets, not with um, trying to teach the movement, but even the good coaches can be obsessed with what it looks like versus what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's one of my big things is like, it can look perfect on a surface level, but if you're not looking at, what's being used to accomplish the task, even if the position is correct, hmm, probably going to lead to some problems. And that's not at all to criticize your coaches, Allison, just kind of some tangents that uh, <laughs> uh, have played into some of the people that I've been working with. So I wanted to mention those. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of goes along with what we talked about with uh, our, our guest last week with Mark Wallace, and he has focal dystonia. And that actually goes along with what he was talking about was that, you know, he was obsessed with how things looked and he got injured (laughs) brain wise because he was so obsessed with how things looked instead of how they felt and being, you know, having that sense of exploration and, and well, what is this? And what is this? And how is this? And, you know, the the whole sense of there is no right and wrong. Well, with, with, with strength training, there is some right and wrong for sure. But I mean, just because, I mean, I'm thinking like I had a, I had a client a while back and I've had several clients like, you know, we're, tr- I'm, I'm critiquing their squat form and we're trying to get things to, to feel right, to do right, to look right, whatever. And then I've, yeah, there was one person I'm thinking of specifically and I just could not, she felt fine. She didn't look right. I'll just say that, but she felt good. And she was able to push some crazy, crazy weight. And she got really strong, but something just didn't quite look right. And, you know, the more I studied about it, it's like some people are just built differently and they move a little differently. And it's not, there isn't going to be an absolute textbook for every single person because we're all built a little different. Some people have longer femurs than others. Some people have, have a, have shallower hip sockets, stuff like that. You know, all, all things that take into, take into account. I don't think that's you. I don't think you have those. I don't think. Me? Are you Allison? Yeah. I don't know, but I got problems now (laughs) because of all those years of, so of course, after the injury, everyone told me to stop moving, stop, just stop. So I ignored them for as long as I could, because it's like, you go see a surgeon, they tell you to stop moving, but they're like, oh, you're gaining weight. You should probably not do that. And it's like, hmm, so tell me what to do so that, you know, that won't continue. And they didn't really give me answers, just more of what I shouldn't do. So all those years of like, basically the back, not like, I'm not doing anything really. I try and then I I hurt myself. I get a flare up and then I'm like, oh, it was a bad idea. And then I'm like, no, I need to move. And I try something new. And so it was this cycle forever, but it was still just a lot of not doing anything or not. 
focusing on things. So everything just kind of locked up. I think that happens a lot. Her, her camera froze on us for a second, but I think that happens a lot with doctors is that they tend to focus on what we shouldn't do instead of telling us a plan of action, what we should do. PT is, is recommended. Um, I see that a lot, but I know in my own circumstances with, with um, having injury, every time I was injured, they told me just stop playing. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't help. Okay. If something hurts and doctor's favorite thing to say, so I found out is if it hurts, don't do it. That doesn't fix the problem. And that addresses a symptom, which is pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. So great. But what do we do? And she's her for everybody who's wondering, her camera's still a little frozen at the moment. Um, but what she's talking about, you know, is like I needed to move. And being told to not move is the worst thing. I had this exact same thing happen to me two years ago when my cervical radiculopathy. I thought it was thoracic outlet syndrome. And I'm probably saying the, the thing wrong, but I thought it was thoracic outlet. I held all these things problem wrong. My entire right quadrant seized up. My tricep felt like it was contraction all the time. I had shooting electrical pains down my arm. These fingers are still a little numb. This was numb. This was numb. My arm was numb. And all I got was, well, you got to stop working out. I wasn't working out in the first place. In fact, I had started working out because it's a hypermobile individual. Our muscles mm-hmm need stability. Our, our joints mm-hmm. need stability. Our bodies crave strength, right? And I was trying to get ready for a, a physical fitness test. I was trying to work on my push-ups. I did too many push-ups, too many things. And all those things just kind of went together, right? And so the problem was when they told me to quit moving, that just made everything worse. And they didn't, not a single person told me what to do. They just said, stop. That right. doesn't, that doesn't solve an issue. In fact, right. that was the worst thing they could have told me. And now two years later, I'm still dealing with this because they said, just don't do. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, unfortunately, um, and I'm not trying to project here or saying that's necessarily exactly what happened, but unfortunately, there's so much fear of um, litigation like or blame taking or anything like that. Well, I know that this, so it, the, the mindset, I'm sorry, is, well, I know that this is um, causing a problem. So we're going to stop doing that. But I don't want to tell you what else um, to do because, you know, well, if it's the wrong thing, then you can come after me. Like at some point, at some point that's gotta be somebody's job. You know what I mean? Right. Um, just to say, let's try this. Uh, let's find something that does work. And, and again, this is where I go back to, um, it's not so much about the movement as it is or how it looks as it is what you're feeling. Um, so I know when I'm working with somebody and say, um, we're targeting, let's go with hamstrings. Um, if I give them an approach, a, a specific type of way to activate your hamstrings and their knee starts flaring up, we're going to stop that movement and we're going to stay away from it for a little bit but I'm going to try to get you there in some other way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, probably a more direct example would be, um, you know, I've talked about that injury that, that made me not confident about the competition I was supposed to do, but didn't get a chance to do. Um, for me, that was, it was an upper body movement that I was trying to do log press. Um, but it was a knee problem that took me down. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was using my legs to get under 
the log, which is what you do, but I didn't have the stabilizers in place to support it overhead. So my legs were compensating. So yeah, I got away from my knee, but I didn't stop working on the movement. Cause I went, well, that showed me a weakness in my chain. Right. Right. What it showed me was something I had already known. Um, my calves and my quads tend to take over for my core when I'm doing overhead movements, when I'm standing, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. They don't want to. Anything goes overhead. I go in my legs because that's where I feel most comfortable. I can feel it more. So my approach was, you know, sit on a bench or sit on the floor, Z presses, seated pressing, anything mm-hmm. that you have to balance that overhead thing, but you better use your core. You're going to fall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but finding workarounds where it's like, yes, if it hurts, stop. But let's try this thing, this other thing, to get us into what we want to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, you know, like the whole litigation thing, I mean, I get it. People are so happy. But at yes. some point, you know, how much, how much more harm are you doing by telling someone to just stop all movement than right. telling them to su- than suggesting they go try some things? Mm-hmm. You can make suggestions and say, this might not work, but you should try it if you want to you can put the put the the responsibility on the patient okay we're going to pause this for just a minute we'll get allison all right i think this is a good point we're going to take a quick break try to get allison back and in the meantime we'll hear from one of our sponsors and we're back and we are talking with dr allison royal and what we're talking about here is uh shoot what was she talking about um, oh, how lack of movement, it can be really detrimental in a situation instead of just being told to stop doing what hurts, that you should be told what to do. That's where we were. Yeah. So that would have been really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that would have been really helpful. Because that was, do math, Allison, math, 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 2015, how old was I? It was at least like 12, 11 years, you know, of not really doing too much, you know, like the bare mm-hmm. minimum, just because mm-hmm. it's hard for me to sit still. And yeah, so now trying to like, you know, work in different, different movements or lifts again, it's just like, I just feel all these things and a lot of resistance from my body. It's just like, no, I... What what are you doing? Why are you trying to move this way? I don't like this. I'm going to stop you. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 But you are feeling better now that you're moving compared to when you were just at a standstill. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. For sure. Um, anytime, if I have a flare-up, and I haven't had that many since 2015, or even when I just started lifting a I've done some like I'm out out and about doing stuff with I don't know the youth group or just something on my feet all day and I'm wearing crappy shoes. Mm-hmm. Of course, back's gonna be mad at me. My fault. <laughs> um, yeah, it's but yeah, definitely moving again, strengthening the the things that I need to to help keep my back protected are mm-hmm. definitely helping. What are some of the exercises that you've been doing or some of the movements that kind of helped you get out of when the, when the doctors told you to quit playing or not quit playing, but to quit lifting and that was detrimental. What were some of the things that helped you get out of that, that were movement based? What worked for you or what has been working for you? I should say. 
Well, before I started lifting again, because since I was never clear to you until after the surgery and like like year physical therapy, I was pretty obsessive with hot yoga. Um, I do miss it dearly. <laughs> um, I really do. Like I was four, four solid years of just like, I went at least five times a week. And if I could go every day, I, I did because I had an unlimited package. So I wouldn't necessarily do hot all the time. I also really liked yin yoga, but the heat really just made my body feel good because it, it not sure why i mean the heat helps your muscles and i could i could definitely do things that i couldn't do if i was in a cold room trying to do yoga um but that i just have i mean there are a couple reasons why i haven't been back but mostly now it's because of the virus because you know we're in a room full of hot air with people focusing their breath i just can't (laughs) fair enough fair enough were there any kind of alternative um medicine choices that you did like I don't know like first thing that comes to my mind is like doing a float tank I did that earlier this week and it's just uh sometimes when I'm when I'm stressed out or my muscles are really sore I fall asleep this time my brain would not stop and it was it was still what my body needed needed all that magnesium because you know we're magnesium deficient as a culture um as a population completely but I mean you know there's some people love acupuncture love massage love um, well, yoga, although I don't know that I would call that an alternative therapy, but I mean, is there anything that you do like on the regular that just, you know, movement wise that brings you joy? Well, I, for your alternative kind of like help question, I did massage. I've been doing massage therapy forever. Um, since I moved out here, I've been going every two weeks. Um, Right now, I'm trying to find a new one because mine left me. He sold his house and him and his wife moved to North Carolina. So, (laughs) no. He left. He left real quick because his house, of course, sold in like three days because that's how the market is right now. Yeah. Yeah, But I've been doing that, you know, even before I moved out here. Um, But that's kind of the only thing I explored because that worked. Um, I know that my mom, when she was having some issues with her back, I told her to go try acupuncture and she listened to me and it actually helped quite a bit, but I just haven't done it because massage helps, um, for sure, but I would totally try it. (laughs) (laughs) My mom loves acupuncture too. I, it, it hasn't done anything for me. I've tried it and I was like, what is this? (laughs) <laughs> but I've got clients who swear by it. Like, that's just, I got to go. I feel all kinds of better every time I do it. I have one client who said she will go anytime she has respiratory stuff, she goes and sits in a salt cave. Oh, okay. Right. And you think salt cave, you're like, where, what's that? No, it's really just a room full of salt. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, I'm sure it's more than that, but there's one like get around the corner and it's a house. It's a room full of I don't know, ions and things. If you know what the salt cave is, please leave a comment. Tell us all about salt caves. That's <laughs> I don't really know that much about, you know, but she swears yeah. by it and says it, it just helps her so much, but that's respiratory stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think the point of this is where you're saying like, number one, the, the injuries that you have were not necessarily as a result of faulty coaching or the weightlifting itself. 
was genetics, which is good to know is why a good coach is important. But mm -hmm. the second thing is that when you were injured, <laughs> key takeaway here is that being just stopping because it hurts can make the problem worse. And the thing that got you out of feeling so bad was actually moving again, but finding a different way to move. Would that mm -hmm. be fair? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and let's emphasize a little bit here too. finding a different way to move is what you said, not pushing through the pain. Yes. Cause I know that's unfortunately sometimes what either is taken away from when people say just, you know, no, you need to keep moving or that's what sometimes people say, which is just totally not good. <laughs> don't push through pain. Please don't. There's a reason your body hurts, you know, yeah. but then, then yeah. again, so Allison, in your situation right now, like you've still got these herniated discs, you've got these issues. Um, mm -hmm. There's still a level of pain that you're having to deal with. Would that be correct? No. Nope. Oh, good. Okay, good. I'm glad I was wrong. Never mind. My whole point is moot then. Cause I was going to say, well, there's still a level of pain you got to deal with. Is there anything you have to push through that I, you know, deal with, but if not, never mind. <laughs> no, no, no. There's not pain. There's like certain things like, for example, the hinge. Mm. I cannot hinge. But it, it's it and it I wouldn't describe the feeling as pain. I feel it as my body feels like it's a slinky that's been super glued together and you're trying to tear it apart a little bit. So it's like all this resistance. But I wouldn't describe it as pain, but like normal everyday move walking around, teaching, whatever. I don't I'm not I'm not in pain. I haven't been on pain meds in years thank the lord i hate taking medicine <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah good um, yeah but it, yeah there are certain things that my body is resist certain movements my body is scared i call i just think it's just straight up scared to do it because it's been protecting this injury for so long yeah so yeah yeah and when we're dealing with something that, that that's that long term too, I mean, it can be super difficult to know, you know, what is physiologically impossible, what is just so matted down and locked up and, you know, like, okay, well, where is the need versus um, expectation, that sort of thing, you know? <laughs> um, and another point you brought up with the, the surgery that you had, so you were mm -hmm. in pain. You had all kinds of crap going on. Now you're not, thank goodness. But let's talk about surgery real quick. Okay. Physicians really don't want to, most people don't want to have surgery. I've had nope. surgery to remove my gallbladder and wisdom teeth and all that stuff, right? Okay. Um, I fought it for a long time, had the gallbladder out, feel way better, thank goodness. But you, you know, like there's sometimes surgery is necessary. Sometimes it's not. So mm -hmm. how... How did you approach the whole situation of knowing when it was time that this was this was the option that you wanted to pursue? Yeah. Okay. So my just to put in perspective, perspective, so people can understand how long it's been. I injured my back when I was seventeen. I'm thirty three. So it's been a minute. It's been, it's been some time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So initially, my mom wanted me to have surgery like as soon as possible as like a kid. So all the surgeons were like, absolutely not. She's, she's young. She can bounce back. Like, no. 
And the last one that I saw in Texas, he said, you will know when you need surgery. I promise you, you will know. So when I flared it up, so what I did, it was something dumb. I was walking around the FMEA convention with my viola on my back. I didn't have a room to leave it in, so it was on my back. Even though I have the straps that take the weight out of it, it's still a heavy case. It's a bubble lock. They're just heavy. And that was mistake number one. Mistake number two is I went to a yoga class <laughs> and like did a three-legged dog, irritated my back some more. So I just laid in the heat and stretched. Mistake number two. <laughs> and so it started just getting worse and worse and worse where I was having spasms. Um, then I couldn't stand for long periods of time. My sleep, I couldn't sleep because then eventually there was bursitis in both of my hips. So the most comfortable position for me to get like a two hour nap um, was my stomach. And I absolutely hate sleeping on my stomach, but that was less painful than everything else. Um, yeah, it got to the, I actually accidentally, Thank, thankfully the guy didn't come find me but I was driving to work and I had a spasm and I ran into the back of his truck in the parking lot so I wasn't going very fast but that was like yep not driving anymore <laughs> I left my insurance info and told him who my boss was and like you know please come find me I'm so sorry but he never he, he didn't because it just hit his splash guard so he probably just replaced it on it by himself but like yeah I couldn't it, I couldn't sleep and then my epic sneeze. This is one I knew. <laughs> Your epic sneeze? My epic sneeze. I was sitting on my couch, cross leg. I just made some dinner. I was so excited to eat it. Achoo! There was pain. I swear, it was just all over the place. And I sat like this, just bracing myself for two hours. So I didn't have my phone anywhere near me. And at this time, I was living with my ex-boyfriend, thank goodness, because he was coming home eventually. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to stay right here and he'll show up. Yeah. And so the next day, I called uh, COC because I, I had an MRI done, but we hadn't gone over the results yet. And I was like, don't have time for that appointment next week. I need surgery now. <laughs> this is it. You. So it took excruciating, miserable, I can't fix this kind of pay, like pain for me to finally go through with it because I, I didn't want it. And I was very happy that the surgeons I met with when I was younger just straight up said, absolutely not, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't, sit, I couldn't sit long enough to be in a rehearsal. I couldn't last more than 10 minutes. While in school, I was actually sitting for a concert co-principal. I moved, I, I moved back to the back because I could not sit down. So I was like last, so I could easily get up and move if I needed to. I bought my cushion. Oh, it's right here. Can I get uh, my yoga mats on it? But I had a big old cushion I'd carry around to try to alleviate some of the pressure on my tailbone. It, it was misery and it would have continued to be that way. There's no steroid shots in the world that would have made, made it better. Mm -hmm. And I had them in my hips and it let me sleep for three hours instead of two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's how I knew when I had to get my gallbladder out. I was having these attacks and they, nobody could figure out what the heck was going on. And I mean, the, the symptoms were all classic cholecystitis, which is, you know, gallbladder problems, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's like, well, we don't see anything. We can't find the stones. You look fine. I'm like, I'm not fine. I would not drive myself to the ER and sit here and waste this time if I was fine. You know, I mean, so many times the ER and they're like, we don't see anything. And it took me turning yellow before someone took me serious. I mean, I was like Homer Simpson yellow. Homer Simpson yellow. All over. I've never seen myself turn that color. And it was scary. And I felt fine. (laughs) That was the funny thing. That time I didn't hurt. And they're like, yeah, you're not leaving. Do you have liver problems? It's like, no. And they're like, you do right now. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, um, that's when they took the, there was a stone and it was blocking the, it, something called the sphincter of Odi, which is very like, you know, Egyptian sounding, but it's, it's basically the sphincter that goes from your, your gallbladder, you the bile duct into your intestines. It was blocking that. So all the bile was just being built up in my, in my, um, was just backing up. That's why that's jaundice is right. So I was jaundice. Um, so I was a yellow. And so the doctor, um, who came in, they're like, we're wheeling you into surgery right now. We're going to, we're going to take it out. And I, they wheeled me in and I, the doctor, it's kind of funny. He's like, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm like, I'm so happy to see you. And he was like, oh, why? I'm like, finally, can you fix this? He's like, we're going to take care of my coffee. Passed out. And then, you know, basically they went down through my throat and then through like that way to take it out. I thought they didn't cut me open or anything. He's like, you might have a sore throat for a little while. They took it out or they pushed it through or whatever they did. I don't know. Um, and then the, I woke up and he said, you probably want to get your gallbladder taken out. And I'm like, excuse me, what's this probably business? That's an internal organ. As far as I know, God doesn't give you spare parts. What do you mean? <laughs> and he goes, well, it's probably, again, probably full of sludge and stones. And you probably want to take care of that. Like, I'm not removing an internal organ on a probably. Can you give me anything more than that? And he said, no. And I'm like, can I wait? He goes, sure. So I did. Um, and I also said, by the way, I have an audition. So that's a no go. Um, he goes, okay. So, so I took the audition I tried to change my diet and change all these things. And I'll never forget. There was one morning it was in the July or August or something. I don't know, a couple years ago. I'm out on a bike ride, beautiful day, no food in my system. It's been like 12 hours since I've had any, I'm out on a ride and I'm fasted. It's just, it's normal for me. Nothing out of the ordinary. All of a sudden I get, I feel like someone is shoving a two by four right to the middle of my body. And I'm on a bike on a hill. This was not like a breathing thing. This was like, oh my gosh. And I, I thought I was going to be sick. So I get off the bike and I sit in the, and I thought, okay, it's coming out. It's coming out. I have no food in my system and I have an attack this bad. This is nothing I can control. So it's kind of the same thing where you just, you just know, and I haven't had a problem since not Mm -hmm. a single one. That's kind of how, you know. (laughs) and it was funny here's the best part i came i came to see him after like he he hooked me up with some general surgeon who did an amazing job and i go back to see the gastroenterologist after this whoever it was i forget now um i go back to see him for a follow-up and he walks in the room shakes my hand nice guy goes how'd the audition go oh you remember it's terrible but thanks (laughs) he goes I mean, that'll happen when you're not feeling well, you know? (laughs) 
I was just nervous. I just bombed it. It was for the National Symphony on Piccolo. And I, you can't, there's not a real lot of real estate when you're nervous on a Piccolo. <laughs> it's literally what happened. Well, that's fair too. <laughs> literally. <laughs> but yeah, would that, would that be, it's kind of like that same thing. Like you just, you're like, this you is know. not fixable. I cannot alter this course. Yep. Yeah. Can't do it. Nothing I can do. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is good that they, they were, uh, you had the surgeons that at least wanted to look for some sort of alternative first. And, and I know some of them are just like, no, we just got to get in there. And you're like, stop it. <laughs> so it is good that you at least had that, even though it ended as painfully as it did. So well, not now she's good now. Yeah. You're good now. And um, while we're on the, you're good now, <laughs> and the lifting is going well now, and you're feeling better now, um, since I think we probably want to get into this before we get too deep in, um, we got to cross apply it to music, right? So, <laughs> so okay. have you noticed, um, have you noticed your current lifting helping your playing? I mean, because I know that you couldn't sit before the surgery, the surgery obviously corrected that, but um, are you noticing any other cross applications now? By playing, well, or teaching, or both, or not. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, that is a monster of an instrument that sits on your shoulder, and <laughs> it's it's difficult to play. Um, it's a monster. Um. I mean, honestly, I haven't, I haven't really had like playing injuries. I have old, like since I've started lifting again, I haven't done something because of my playing. I've had old things flare up that just haven't gone away. But when mm -hmm. they flare up, it's normally from lifting. Like sometimes bench press irritates my right wrist because I've had, um, tendonitis right here um, from when I worked at Sonic and was using the speaker and the, the change machine on our hips and scooping ice. So, <laughs> so it's, yeah, right. But it never is, that doesn't bother me when I play. And then the same thing with like, my shoulders are also a really big thing, um, mm -hmm. which used to bother me when I played and they don't now um, because the, the, the viola is a much lighter than all the weight that I try to move. <laughs> Sometimes my shoulder, the muscles that's being targeted, they get tired and then my shoulders want to help and that's not okay. But there's a lot less pain here. And then something that's like very big in the viola pedagogy is that we try to we play we want to play with our back muscles not our not shoulders mm -hmm. hind force it's you want to feel like your lats are pulling down and then that way you have that weight in the instrument and that's how you get that really rich dark viola sound which probably now I, that i know how to do that and really feel mm -hmm. them. But I feel them really well right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, has also helped. 
just with mm-hmm. like it makes more sense when you when you're trying to tell this to a student and they don't know what their freaking lats are or what to do right. with it. It, it right. doesn't quite make sense. Okay, I'm gonna play with my back. Okay. The, what? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so the, yeah, there are a lot of things that are not happening anymore. Good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So even though you didn't have an injury, you are experiencing benefits. Yes. 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 Yeah. And that's, that's, I know a lot of, we talk about injury so much because that's um, performance injury is my background and Angela's background, but we do want to also talk about the positives. If you don't have a performance injury, right. Is um, there's, there's so much in the pedagogy. I mean, I, even with my injury, it was almost all, um, I would say technical. There, there was more to it than that, but there was a lot of just hunching, a lot of neck stuff, but there's so much in the pedagogy for, I think all of the instruments and certainly for voice, because you can't see any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's you're describing things abstractly to students and we describe them that way in hopes that they can understand what we're trying to get them to do. Um, Cause it's all internal stuff, but if they can't feel something or if we can give them a different Avenue to feel something, mm-hmm. why wouldn't we put that in our toolbox? Right. Absolutely. And it's kind of funny. You just mentioned that um, I was on Instagram yesterday and somebody that we had on our podcast a while ago, um, Anna, who's part of Corsinor, she's on Instagram as the active violinist, actually put that up there. She's like, are you, how do you teach technique if you don't know anything about the body? Yep. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's no, nothing more to say. How do you teach proper technique when you don't know anything about the body? Why Mm -hmm. are these two things taught separately? They're, they, they cannot be separated. And when they are, this is where we can tend to get into issues with um just thinking about it i have a brand ambassador who i think i've mentioned this before she played viola and she was told by she was in a lot of pain and her teacher just kept telling her she wasn't practicing enough turns out the viola was too big yeah that happens happen why do we put the blame on the student right why don't we just like why do we automatically blame ourselves Veronica, who was on our podcast a while back, though, said the same thing. She said, you know, I should know better than to get injured. I'm like, sorry, excuse me, what? <laughs> if we're not talking about the body at all, how are you supposed to know? How are you supposed to know better? You're just supposed to be superhuman. Like you said, you're trying to be superwoman. But if we don't know anything about our bodies, how are we supposed to know this stuff? We're not. Actually, we are supposed to know, but we're not being taught. So if we're not, we're not. I'm going to stop now. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> getting at here yeah yeah so (laughs) i i think really honestly that that's just a that's a couple of these things like movement is important not all Mm -hmm. injury is performance related but at the same time we need to be teaching the body because the body and our instrument let me think about this way when my dad was teaching me to play tennis he said think of the racket by the way, I'm really bad at tennis, but he said, think of the racket as an extension of your arm. And that made more sense to me because it's like, oh, I just move 
flew me here. It's not like the racket starts here and I flick it around. Oh, I'm moving it around. Okay, so are we thinking of our instruments in the same way? Yes or no? How are we thinking about our body? How much are we thinking about our body at all? You know, how are we using ourselves? This is why body mapping and Alexander technique and dynamic integration, why those things are really important. But more than that, we need to actually understand our bodies, how it's mm -hmm. how it works. Like you play your viola with your back. Okay. What constitutes your back? Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because I, I can see that. Um, and and Allison, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I can see that language um translating into excessive arching and potentially strain, mm -hmm. um, depending on how the student interprets that. I don't yeah, know if you guys run into that. Yeah. That's totally possible. Um, yeah, if they don't understand. But yeah, it's it's your last. You're trying to think about that. Because yeah, mm -hmm. we don't want this. This doesn't right. work for the viola at all. Violinists right. can get away with that, but right. the viola is not going to respond. Um, yeah, but at the I, same I, time, I, you don't want students like this. Yeah, and, no, and if, you, if you're no. listening and not watching, I've, I've got my uh, shoulder blades basically touching each other. So. Right. <laughs> you know, I feel like, and I could be wrong or, or biased because I am a violist, but I feel like violists and as a whole take more time to figure out and explore their setup mm -hmm. because the instrument is usually an awkward size i play like i play on a 16 and three quarters viola which everyone's mm -hmm. like it's massive I'm like, it's not that bad <laughs> i'm also five eight you're so, also tall <laughs> yeah 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 so we don't really I don't, you don't really see violas with their arms out here, like playing like this. We, we are usually like, you bring them up, that's where this instrument needs to be. Just there. And then you figure it out. You got to bring the viola to you. You don't want to reach for mm -hmm. the instrument. But I, I think we take more care because the instrument, yeah, it, it's an awkward size. It's heavier. Mm -hmm. Takes a little more effort to play. A lot more mm -hmm. effort to play and play well. Um, but yeah. Okay. And I it sounds like, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just saying, I think I, I'm pretty sure all the violists I've met are like aware of this thing, but I, you know, I could be wrong. Violinists probably do it too. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure. I mean, I know that just from that description alone, it sounds like um, viola pedagogy encourages more experimentation and play than at least when it comes to basic position, clarinet does um, or saxophone does. So that's that's actually really interesting to know. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, we didn't really have pedagogy until the 1900s. We borrowed everything from the violinists. That's fair. Mm. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it just didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah you so, play, let's transcribe it for the viola yeah so maybe that's actually to your advantage as an instrumental group then there's less there's less history for you to have to work against mm -hmm. experimentally that may true. also be um i've known a lot of injured violists i know you're not yeah. on that list but i've known a lot of injured violists, so i'm not sure if that's i don't know it's just 
now that it's up in the air, I'm curious. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I'm injured for sure, but like not, I don't, unless my memory is just shot. I don't think that it's the instrument. I think it's old injuries that get flared up yeah. because I was doing something wrong, which you're not now. Cause I have bursitis in my shoulders, especially my, oh, my right one, my bow arm, um, which hasn't, been flaring up at all but if you hit me in the shoulder in this spot i will still punch you in the face because it, it's just that sensitive and like <laughs> this wrist it pops in the weirdest ways but like so i did irritate the tendonitis in it when i was in school so this is prior to lifting um when we were working on don juan mm. freaking out <laughs> right? Part is hard. <laughs> and um, so yes, I did flare this back up and this tendon was getting stuck. And like when it would pop, it was the worst pain ever. Um, but massage therapy calmed that down. But that hasn't flared up mm -hmm. and Lord knows how long. Um and then yeah, if I and I can tell that if I hunch, you know, I can tell when I'm hunching, but it's usually because I'm tired. But I don't recall having any of these problems since I've started lifting again, but I do have injuries. I'm just, I don't want to say that I'm injury free, because that's a lie. <laughs> okay. but, it's just not necessarily a current chronic issue. Yeah. And I don't think that they, maybe the bursitis, sure. Or that could even be sports. All the shot put discus basketball that I did, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, but this did flare up preparing for grad audition so that was back in 2013 but currently i don't have any issues with it so i do have injuries they're just chilling for now <laughs> they're manageable. yeah they're not they're not bothering me one bit good good well, yeah. I think that's a good place for us to wrap up then allison where can people find you if they want to come find more about you and what you do and take lessons what? or no okay oh, you don't want them to find you we won't give them any information that's totally <laughs> up to you I, if you want to find me i do have a, a facebook musicians page it's uh alice royal comma violist and my name is spelled with two l's and a y so a l l y s o n royal um I also, nope, that would be the best place because my Instagram is nothing but my cat. So unless you want to see that. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> if you want to check out my little cute cat, that's Allie underscore cat underscore royal, cat with a K. But yeah, or you could just find my regular old Facebook, which is Allison Royal. <laughs> Sounds good. <Yeah. laughs> I think the world's always oh. better with more cat pictures, honestly. Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. cat people on this call. Have we actually interviewed somebody that didn't have a cat yet, though? Ashley. True, Ashley, but Ashley can't. So that's different. Okay. Because <laughs> she grew up with them. I don't okay. know. I don't know that we've asked everybody. Everybody. Did Mark that, have that, a cat? Mark has a dog. Uh, I don't know. Most everybody that has volunteered the information has had at least a cat. Okay, I don't know about Yannick. I haven't asked him. Well, okay, so you, you, you interviewed Yannick, so. That's true. <laughs> He's 
might not have. Chase might not have. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Now I gotta. Like, I don't want to go back and ask everybody. Do you yeah. have a cat? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is pretty common in the music world. Let's just be real. And it's totally fine. Yeah. They think it is. Huh? So they are wonderful. They mm -hmm. are. Allison, thank you so much for joining us in this, even uh, with with our technological uh, yes, challenges and opportunities today. We appreciate you joining us from the two different mediums that you chose to, <laughs> to join us with. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for sharing your story, too. I know there's um, this opens the door for us to talk about, you know, childhood stuff that we may or may not think about um, coming through into our playing. So maybe we'll talk about that in the future. But either way. It is um, it is wonderful to hear stuff like this and get it out there. So, yep. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming again. Of course. Yeah. All right. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next time.